0: George Briner went from being a kid from Milwaukee, growing up in the shadow of his folks' record collection, to being the president of Big Machine's Valerie Music Company. Along the way, he and I became great friends, went through some highs, went through some lows, worked a lot of records, worked for a lot of record companies, but never lost sight of our love of music. George is one of the good ones. I'm happy to call him my friend. Here's George Briner. George Briner, hmm. the forgiving promo Buddha. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, because nobody knows, we had a technical difficulty and uh, a great hour long interview was lost in the hinterworld. Great. Is that right? Netherworld. Nether regions. Where does it go? Netherworld. Netherworld. Yeah. Anyway, it was gone. So George graciously is out here at Disgrace Land. And uh, we're sipping a margarita, and it's great to see you, man.
1: As it should be, and it's great to, uh, you know what, it's, I believe in things in another world, and uh, there's a reason that recording went away, because we did not get to do it face-to-face. Exactly. And it's been too long, and to do something like this. It should be face-to-face so I can stare you down again. Bert, that's not true. (laughs) Quit making this shit up and making me look bad. So let's just cut to the chase. I can
0: hit you from here. I can hit you
1: too, so let's just (laughs) keep it civil, okay?
0: Okay. So I want to get into your your past, uh, or do I? No, but you said (laughs) you were reading The Gospel According to Luke, Mm. Steve Lukather's book, and that was all happening when you were living in California.
1: Around that time, I moved out to California in 80, uh, after being a ski bum and plenty of other things. Um, yeah, I went out to Los Angeles, actually Orange County when I first moved out there in 80. But as I'm reading this book, and because after I left Orange County, I did move up to the Glendale area, and then I'm reading about North Hollywood and some of these oh, clubs yeah. and stuff, and going to the baked potato right. and, you know, oohing and eyeing over Larry Carlton whenever he would play and looking at liner notes and it's just like so yeah I'm reading this book going man I was right on the fringe of it yeah so it was really cool
0: so when you were in California I mean and I know when I met you your specialty was like California country to me it was like uh, not who am I thinking of John Jorgensen's band
1: Desert Rose, Desert
0: Rose Band, and Southern
1: Pacific, Southern
0: Pacific, Dwight, Dwight Yoakam. I sure. mean, to me, you were the guy that really wow. spearheaded bringing a lot of that music here. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I, that's just one of the things I feel about you.
1: No, I just, I think that as you and I got to know each other, some of my favorite things because when I was at Warner Brothers, and yes, I worked Dwight Yoakam, but when I was associated with country radio in Los Angeles. Dwight, once a month, was playing the Palomino, or what's really weird is before he signed, he played a place called Club Lingerie down on uh, Sunset, and it was a punk club, but every Tuesday or Wednesday night, Dwight would play, and and this is before anybody knew who Dwight was, but all the punkers would come out, because this guy was so country that it was really cool, and... You know, that was radical to them. Yeah. So, yeah, early days of Dwight Yoakam at Club Lingerie in, uh, on Sunset. I think Pretty they still
0: stuff. do kind of some of that kind of Tuesday night in certain rock clubs or something. Well, maybe not right now. But,
1: right. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, back then it was X, the Blasters.
0: Oh, man, Social D.
1: Oh, yeah, they were yeah. all playing. I mean, those were the yeah every night, and then one night it was Dwight Yoakam, and it's like,
0: which one of these is not like the other?
1: <laughs> so yeah, I think that just because I was around that time, and then when I um, when I did come to Nashville and started working for Warner Brothers, um, I when I was in radio back when Desert Rose was first signed, and I got to know Hillman and Herb Peterson and John Jorgensen. Mm. I mean, um, those were the guys that I gravitated toward because they lived there, yeah. and I would see them just well i just i mean i swear weekly because the radio station i worked for at kzla at the time which was the country station yeah. out in los angeles you know we were presenting every show at the palomino so be it desert rose was playing or on another night if it was ronnie milsap or emmy lou or whoever chris and Herb, and i mean that's where everybody hung out yeah so it was really a cool vibe man
0: we still have that vibe. Do I? Do we in this business? Um, Are we just too spread out to do that kind of stuff?
1: You know what? I think somebody. I think somebody does. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't get to experience that anymore. But there's someone who's a young Bart or a young George who, um, you know, when story when Bart and I used to hang along with two other gentlemen associated with the music business, we were known as low <laughs> Dudes. And we went to every club and every show. And I always say, because it was you and Ken Tucker, yeah. Scott Porchetta, and myself. Yeah. And when we ran the clubs and everything we went to, the four of us were going to rule the music business. Yeah. Well, now, Scott Porchetta does run the music business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Bart, Ken, and I are really happy at what we're doing <laughs> and happy for Scott. <laughs>
0: And couldn't be happier for Scott.
1: We actually had season tickets to the Nashville Sounds. Yes. And on our seats, it said Los Dudes. Who came up with that? Was that you
0: or Ken? Ken.
1: (laughs) We had our own seat. (sighs) And nobody ever went to those baseball games except the only sellout, two sellouts, when Michael Jordan came and played baseball and when the San Diego Chicken would (sighs) make an appearance. Those were the two sellouts at Greer Stadium.
0: <laughs> Do you remember how Michael Jordan did? No. I, he went oh, oh for four.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Who ex- cares? It was Michael Jordan. Absolutely. And we were there.
0: And he had fifty thousand people rushing the net to take pictures of him as he's just swinging away. <laughs> it's like
1: strike Oop, missed again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you are from uh, Wisconsin, and like how how did how did you get into music? Are you a musical family?
1: No, no musical. Well, my dad was a jazz buff. Okay. And uh, always at night, uh, the house that I grew up in in Milwaukee had the coolest turntable. And then he had this built-out shelves for his LPs and the tape deck and the amplifier. And behind it was a closet. And I remember going to that closet and just smelling... This is before anybody can relate to, but back when you had tubes in your amplifiers, when those things would warm up, you could smell the heat of the tubes. I used to love hanging in the closet, just looking at the tubes glowing. and just I was fascinated by it. So anyways, my dad was a jazz buff, not a musician, but um, one of my favorite stories about my dad, and I think one of the things that really taught me a lot about uh, studio musicians, producers, things like that. Once a month, my dad was member. There were five or six guys, and they called themselves Dukes Cooks. And what they would do is once a month, <laughs> they'd go to one of their homes, and you'd bring your own bottle of booze, okay, and one or two of your favorite pieces of vinyl that you picked up. My dad traveled, some of his buddies, they, they were not related work-wise, but they were all... Jazz bus.
0: So it might be one of their favorite albums that they got from their dad, or it might be something they just picked up last Tuesday.
1: And my, you know, my dad say, you know, <sighs> when great. it was in New York, he picked up this live recording of uh, um, Red Nichols and his Five Pennies. And oh man, guys, look, you know, so and so produced that. I used to sit behind where they were sitting in the living room and just listen to them talk to each other, yeah. and they'd be telling, you know. My dad was great at limericks and telling dirty jokes and stuff like that. So these guys are getting trashed. right? And, you know, back then, one song on the vinyl, taking it off. Somebody else would play their vinyl. But they were just five guys who loved the art of jazz musicianship. Yeah. So I heard, I mean, <clears throat> besides the music I was listening to or my brothers were on AM radio, a lot of Satchmo, a lot of Joe Pass, Ella mm. Fitzgerald, Pete Fountain. Red nickels and His Five Pennies, even things like, well, my mom loved Mitch Miller, so yes, there were some Mitch Miller sing-alongs in there, too. (laughs) So, yeah, my mind was really fried as far as a plethora of different types of music, but then I had two older brothers. You know, um, my oldest brother, I'll never forget, he turned me on to uh, Alice's Restaurant by Arlo Guthrie, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's... um, influenced by my family mm. but not a family of musicians
0: i've always found that so interesting that there are just i mean half of the reason i like music is because everybody in my family plays an instrument i mean i still think i would love the radio and i would love music but to have <coughs> people that are that passionate about Something they can't do, or don't do, just or won't do, whatever. Yeah, I say think that's interesting, but then again, how much do I love car racing and stuff? You know, I'll never do anything like that. So on that part of me understands that. But.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know because we, my dad had this nice sound system. Yeah, I think the first record I ever got was Meet the Be. Well, no, before Meet the Beatles, their first album, which was called Please Please Me, which was an import that my dad brought over from Europe before Meet the Beatles wow. had come out. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Same songs? Uh, the Please Please Me album had Please Please Me, Twist and Shout, Chains, Anna, but it didn't have I Want to Hold Your Hand or She Loves You. Man. Yeah, I'd almost have to look, but it is yeah. it is the, as far as Polydor it was the album that came out before the Be- Meet the Beatles. Meet the Beatles. Yeah, so it, my dad brought it and said, yeah, these guys are really popular over in England. And it's before Ed Sullivan and stuff. And I just thought, this is really cool. Yeah. Now it's really cool. Yeah. Just knowing that it's something that I, you know, had a little sneak behind the curtain, I guess, before. And there
0: was nothing like that here. When you kind of, well, I guess you kind of had Beach Boysy kind of stuff.
1: Beach Boys, or, the Cowl Sills.
0: yeah. What else was going on around? Maybe then? more quartet music or something. I don't even know.
1: Yeah, but yeah. Back then you had the New Christy Minstrels yeah. and some of that stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you think about the Beatles because the things that I was listening to: Dave Clark Five, oh, man. Rolling Stones, Herman's Hermits, Animals, Bro, Bro, Bro Brumbles were in the United States. But and that's we uh, we were talking one other time about my first concert. Yeah. Um, That's where, yeah, the first show, the first concert I ever went to was, opening act was an act called the Bro Bro Brumbles. Then the middle act was the McCoys, which um, he wasn't known back then, but it was Rick Derringer on on guitar. And they had a song called Hang On Sloopy. Yeah. And they had a few others. And then the headliners was Freddie and the Dreamers. Man. From England. And they had a song called Doing the Freddy and I'm Telling You Now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you were like... Yikes! You were an Anglophile before we knew what that word meant. Yeah. As far as music and stuff.
1: Yeah, because I remember when the the Beatles did... When the Beatles became popular.
0: (laughs) Ruined them for you.
1: (laughs) And I was in grade school. I remember during recess, me and three other guys would... Imitate some of the, you know, kind of like Statue Man or whatever you call it nowadays when you freeze the pose, oh yeah, or strike a pose, and we would imitate some of the poses that we saw of the Beatles because we just thought they were the coolest, yeah, thing. yeah. And it just, and back then, uh, the Rolling Stones were the bad boys, right? Yeah, they they never got good press or anything like that. And I mean, I dug the music, but yeah, it wasn't cool to like the Rolling Stones because they were the bad guys. Oh, that's funny. But, yeah, I just so, – so anyways, it just – it's because of that. And then once I got into high school, um, I think one of my big influences was our art teacher. Um, while we had art class, he would introduce us to – here's an album that I want to play for you guys while we have class today. Mm-hmm. And he would put on It's a Beautiful Day um, – I'm trying to think. Uh, It's a Beautiful Day had a very famous song called White Bird. Okay. And um, so, yeah, it's just... um, So even my art teacher was a big influence
0: for me. That's funny, because our art teacher used to do on Fridays, we'd go around the room, and you could bring a record this coming Friday, and you can bring one next. As long as it wasn't like... She didn't want Van Halen in there or something. Just because it was just a little... (laughs) <laughs> not really music to talk over or to teach over but if she was just going to let us go for 45 minutes you know do it draw whatever you want I mean she'd let anybody bring in anything it was pretty wow. fun but
1: yeah I think it's people like that that you know
0: they don't even know their influence influencing that many people
1: yeah I remember while I was in high school um, we had this because I was not in band or anything like that mm-hmm. but we had this uh, music education class and they'd have guest speakers come in. And I remember this one DJ coming in saying, okay, there's this group called Rare Earth. <laughs> they have this song called Get Ready. But if you listen to the, their album, the second side is a 60-minute version of a jam. And we're going to listen to it today. So I want you to just get into this. I mean, <laughs> who knows what the guy was smoking before he came to class. But I just thought, Wow. <coughs> so yeah I think that um, being around home some of the experiences I had in school and stuff again I just you know yes, yeah I think that um, and then the other thing I would say well well, right after high school um, I had a really cool experience where I was home for the summer working and Jefferson Starship was playing in Milwaukee and I went down to the arena at like one in the afternoon. hmm And the garage door was open and back where the, you know, where they were loading. Unload. and unloading. Uh, and long story short, I walked in. No security any or yeah. anything back then. And, um, yeah, I met one guy on the sound crew, and he's like, uh, so can you stick around, have dinner with us? you want to watch the show? <laughs> Slapped a pass on me. I didn't know what a backstage pass was. right? And, uh you know, when this, when they were getting—it's funny, the opening act, these two girls from Seattle, they had really long boots and kind of crazy-looking some group called Heart.
0: Yeah, or, or <laughs> Lungs or something. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of them. So
1: they opened up, and then Jefferson Starship at the time. I was familiar with Grace Slick and Paul Katner from from my brothers turning me on to Jefferson Airplane. Airplane yeah White Rabbit, Somebody to Love, all that, so— but when they were playing in Milwaukee at this time they were writing the the heels of miracles and uh, okay. red octopus and stuff so
0: Chiquisa was in the band yeah yeah uh-huh.
1: yeah. so that was my um, Great guitar player. that was my introduction of wow backstage pass and when the band came out he told me to sit on some of the cases on the stage and it's like so are you hiring <laughs> right. I'll run away from home. I mean, yeah, yeah sure, okay. <laughs>
0: you got space in that box truck? Yeah. I can sleep on an amp. <laughs> so, but I think that has followed you through your whole life, because talking about Los Dudes, you were always the first guy to want to turn people on to new stuff. You know, that was really a passion of yours.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, I guess because my dad, the art teacher, yeah. The DJs that would come in, but, you know, one of the things that I will always say is, you know, I went away to college, made it almost two years. I thought being a ski bum was a lot cooler. And uh, I was in Colorado, and I worked in a record store. And in, in I think, 79, 78 or 79, I was going to move to L.A. because I was going to get in the music business. And at that time, yeah. the music business was in a slump. Yeah. It, it so moved out there. I was chasing some connections that were wild dreams. 4 weeks later, I came limping back to my old roommates in Vail. Then in 80, um a couple that I know uh, that I knew from living in Colorado, they offered me a place to stay in Santa Ana in Orange County, Newport Beach. And uh for 2 months I was looking for a job. But uh, ended up at a record retail chain called Licorice Pizza. Yes. And...
0: I remember their logo.
1: Oh, yeah. It was very With cool. the lady and, yeah. Yeah. So they... Um, we were able to, at any time, check out five albums. Yeah. Take them home. Listen to them so we could educate, educate ourselves That's- on music. And if you brought one back, you could check another one out. So... What I did is some of the records that I would check out is sometimes people would come in the store going, Yeah, I'm just looking for something new. Yeah. Uh, I like jazz or I like rock or I like folk or whatever. And I would say, Hey, I have this privilege of checking out a record. Let me pick out one. I'll sign it out to myself. Let me know if you like it. And if you do, come back and buy it. And if not, we'll turn you out, you know, something else. Yeah. So here I am. Man getting this buzz of people wanting to know what's cool. Yeah. And I would share my thoughts of you might like this. So fast forward to a, a wonderful opportunity I had in record retail, <coughs> and at that time, 3 15 an hour, minimum wage, barely getting by, but, you know, at that age, we all survived.
0: Yeah, you had a place to live.
1: So fast forward after... I don't know, 10 years working for a couple of different labels in Nashville. I'm working for DreamWorks Records. First time I worked for Scott Borchetta. And I was about a year or two in, uh, about a year into it. And I told Scott, I can't do it anymore. I have to quit. And he goes, I want you to take a couple of weeks off and I'll pay you. Just go away. Just think about what you want to do. And I was in New Mexico. I was riding a bike in Taos, New Mexico, and it hit me right... I'll always remember the wind, the temperature, the hill I was climbing, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm still that kid in Newport Beach turning people on to music. Totally different as far as record promotions. and, And now to this day, anytime I'm at a concert... I see people singing along, or I see people clapping, or even if I'm associated with the opening act, I always go back to that kid working in the record store turning people to this day, thirty plus years. There's nothing cooler for me, George Briner, yeah, than to know that I still get a chance to turn people onto music. Absolutely, man. Yeah.
0: That's pretty awesome. So how did you speaking of coming to Nashville, how did you get here from from LA when
1: I was <clears throat> when I was in record retail in Los Angeles I worked in this store in Newport Beach when and became an assistant manager at a store in Santa Barbara and there was an opportunity I moved to Glendale where the headquarters was to uh, work in the shipping department back That's in the warehouse.
0: pretty sexy stuff Oh
1: man I was
0: <laughs> was it more than 315 an hour?
1: Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I was okay. up to three sixty, three seventy, maybe. Yeah, so I was I was rolling in the dough. It's like
0: it was worth it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then I had an opportunity to move into the main office. Air conditioning was really great then. <laughs> um, <laughs> working in the marketing department and handling the advertising and stuff, and um, handling all the advertising, you would have all the radio station account executives come in to you, going, "Hey." Do you want to buy advertising on our station? And uh, one of the reps that came in was a gentleman from KZLA in Los Angeles. And right after they got sold, um, um, there's a company called Cap City that sold KZLA hmm. to a company called Mallright, which was, if you know anything about uh, radio, Mallright had the buzzer in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah, which is a, a famous radio station. And so, the account executive said, "Have you ever thought about doing promotions at a radio station?" I thought, "Radio? Wow, that's cool." I didn't know what a promotions person was. Right. <laughs> so he set up an interview, and um, a gentleman named Bob Guerra was the program director. He used to program the country station in San Francisco. Malright buys KZLA. He moves to LA. So I meet this guy, know nothing about him, and his first question is, what do you know about country music? And I said, I've heard of Willie Nelson. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there going, why am I even sitting here? (laughs) I said, oh, I lived in Colorado, and the nitty-gritty dirt band are pretty famous.
0: (laughs) They're country now,
1: (laughs) right? So um, we talked. That interview went on for like an hour and a half. And he just said, so... Why should people listen to radio and why should they, when they Mm -hmm. listen, why should they listen for a long time? And we talked about, we didn't talk about music. We talked about things that DJs should be talking about and contests and stuff like that. So a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call. I got the gig. So first day at work, I set up my office. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never been in radio. Second day, I go into Bob Guerra's office and I said, okay, I'm ready to go. And he goes, you, jo- you got the job. You figure it out. Wow. And I'm just like, uh, I have no idea what I do. Fortunately, some of the air staff, and there's a gentleman here in Nashville, um, R.J. Curtis. Yes. Who's been in the business for a long time. Yeah. R.J. Curtis was the music director. And every Friday, <laughs> he would do what's called the music logs. Yeah, but it was far different than it is nowadays. And in his office, he had rows and rows and rows of vinyl albums and vinyl forty fives, because that's where all the music was coming from yeah. at the time. And so Fridays, at, you know, five o'clock, he'd say, "George, down to the liquor store, get us a six pack of beer." And as I work on the logs today, we're going to start in the bees and pick out any album that says Bobby Bear on, and let me tell you about Bobby Bear. Wow. So, And that was 1984. So in the last 36 years, and I've met so many people that have given me so many opportunities, I've never learned more about country music yeah. from one person in a period of time than I did from R.J. Curtis. Man. I remind him of it every time I see it. So, you know, this this whole... Trajectory of the things that I've been blessed to be associated with is people giving me opportunities. But anytime I'm in front of somebody, I always tell them how much I enjoy turning people on to music. Yeah. Or I'll say, Hey, you like music. Yeah. Have you ever heard of so and so? Because that's my
0: passion. It's, that's so interesting because Bob Garrett asked you about country music and you said you've heard of Willie Nelson. And that was it. So he wanted to talk to you about how you sell radio, but mm-hmm. RJ wanted to talk to you about the music that they play at that station and educate you into music, and that I mean and both of those things have served you very well. Well,
1: nineteen eighty four, you know, when you work at a radio station, a lot of the new acts, especially in Los Angeles, would come by to visit. Yeah, to turn the program director. Who makes the music decisions on to these new artists? In 18 months of being there, new kid named Randy Travis, opposite end of the spectrum, Steve Earle, Lyle Lovett, Charlie Daniels came through. I, I mean, every yeah, week another like. artist was coming through. I just I love looking at the pictures of when I was at KCLA. Plus, as I said, here I am every week hanging at the Palomino, Tommy can't remember Tommy's last name, but the owner of the Palomino. Oh, okay. I never had to pay to go in there. I, right. I was the guy who was in charge of promotions and always promoting the Palomino. But, man, Linda Ronstan and Emmylou Harris and one of my favorite Palomino stories, Roy Orberson was playing. Mm. And it wasn't a KZLA show, but I thought, yeah. I want to see that. I want to go see Roy Orberson. before Roy takes the stage. Tommy gets on stage going, okay, when Roy comes out, he's going to do a set, and then he's going to take a break. And when he comes out for the second set, we're going to lock the doors. Matt, okay, so this is like 84, 85. You don't lock doors when (laughs) you have people in a club. It might
0: be illegal, man. So,
1: and uh, we're going to have somebody standing by the payphone because you won't be able to use the payphone. Remember, we don't have cell phones at the time. Right. Roy comes out, does this really, I'm thinking, God, cool glasses, this guy's got such a cool vibe. So the second set, when he comes out, here comes Tom Petty, George Harrison, Dylan, basically what was traveling traveling wheelbarrows. They were just getting together. And I'm just sitting, and no, I can't go to the payphone and call anybody. Doors are locked.
0: And they couldn't get in even if I could.
1: Yeah, and there are no cell phones. So, uh, but I mean, the Palomino was that place where, yeah, if Amy Lou was playing and mm. Dwight or Chris Hillman. I mean, it was, like you said, I, I got to believe that happens now. Yeah. But we're not the ones experiencing no. it. No, no.
0: Were the Eagles popping up then?
1: The only thing the- I remember about the Eagles back then is um, Licorice Pizza had a softball team mm-hmm. and in L.A., in, uh, in the Valley— because I was in Glendale, California at the time, there was a music league softball team. And when we played, oh, maybe I shouldn't. When we played against the MCA team, <laughs> MCA Records, um, Glenn Fry was on the team. Uh huh. And one of those days, I, the day that we were playing MCA, I forgot my glove. I didn't care who Glenn Fry, Fry was. And I. <laughs> Just as we're changing positions on the field, I said, Hey man, can I borrow your glove? <laughs> he wasn't very nice. <laughs> he, he, was, said no. he
0: said no. <laughs> he said no. In a in a very And I went, way.
1: Really? I can't I can't use your glove? And I just thought excuse me.
0: You should have said Bernie Ledin would let me borrow his glove. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's not in the band anymore. Well, okay.
1: So, anyways, uh, but well, because he was playing on the MCA team, it must have been the Eagles. Must have been after they were apart because he was probably working on No Fun Allowed because I think his his, yeah. his solo albums were on MCA. So, yeah, I don't I don't know time wise. It's funny you mentioned Bernie Ledham when I started with Warner Brothers in '86. The very first show I worked. When you work for a label, you go out and cover all these shows. The very first show I worked was in, what's the town that Purdue's in? In Indiana? Oh. Not South Bend.
0: What was it? I don't know. Evanston? No.
1: Anyways, it's in Indiana. And and the town that Purdue's in, uh, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band were playing. I remember them from Colorado. Yes. At the time, (laughs) Bernie Ledden was in the Dirt Band.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Very few people. Bernie Ledin for about a year that. and a half was in the nitty-gritty dirt Okay. So, anyways, that's just a sidebar on the Eagles and stuff like that. And
0: so, did anybody consider them country at that time? Would the Eagles? Yeah. No. no. Okay. No,
1: that was a rock group.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we weren't playing Ronstant. I mean, the furthest or the closest, I guess, well, well I'll love it. I don't know. But, no, Ron Stanton, any of those things now that would have that tinge yeah. of flavor...
0: No. Probably not. Nope. So how did you uh, get to Warner Brothers? Because you started with them in Cali, right?
1: Well, yeah. I think that um, I had an, when I was at Licorice Pizza, I had an, a great experience from a gentleman named Hill Milgram who worked for Warner Brothers. He was their head of their marketing. Years later, he took over Capitol Records. And um, when I moved to L.A., one of my dreams was to, Worked for Warner Brothers because I thought they were the coolest label
0: and the coolest just, logo.
1: Yeah, that too, and
0: and most great of your,
1: vinyl samplers and
0: most of your favorite bands were on. Yeah.
1: So, anyways, it just and that's a whole other story. But um, when I was at KZLA, the country station, we would have reps of different labels coming to the station either with artists or with new music to play the program director or talk to me to do a promotion around the show. Okay. Or meet the new artist. And um, another person who gave me a huge opportunity in this career I've been blessed with is a gentleman named Bruce Edelman. And he was the West Coast rep for Warner Brothers. And back then, there were basically five major labels, and all labels had a country rep in Los Angeles. Yeah. Nowadays, they're spread all over the right. place. but um, So I'd been at KZLA for about a year and a half, and Bruce Edelman... Said, hey, have you ever thought about being a record rep? And it's like, Oh my gosh, my dream job. Yeah. Yeah, why? He goes, Well, I don't know if you'd be interested. There's a position open in Chicago and you know it's cold there in the winter. Okay. I'm a cheesehead. I bleed cheese. <laughs> I've lived through many a many a winters. And my mom and dad were still alive and yeah. lived in Milwaukee. So um Bruce recommended me to uh, his bosses, a gentleman named Nick Hunter and a gentleman named Bob Sapariti. And so Bob came to L.A. to interview two people, a um, guy who used to be in the business, or maybe he still is, Pat Cernaghi, Yeah, and then myself. And um, Bob and I, on a Friday afternoon, my interview at a bar, had a wonderful time together.
0: <laughs> I can believe that.
1: <laughs> and anyways, he uh, he went back to Nashville and recommended to Nick Hunter that he hire me. And <clears throat> so I ended up getting the job, moving to Chicago. So in 86, 87 is when I started with Warner Brothers in Chicago. And back then, the music industry, we used to have distribution branches yep. <clears throat> that would... Uh, besides the product being distributed from those buildings, you would have, for Warner Brothers, we were distributed by a company called WIA. So you had Warner Brothers, Electra and Atlanta, and you had the pop rep and the R&B rep and the country rep. So for me, it was another cool time for me just to be exposed to so much music. Yeah. And uh, being in Chicago was great.
0: Um, I always thought those meetings whatever day they you were at that branch and then the next day you were at the Detroit branch or whatever. Oh, yeah. I always thought those meetings were interesting to hear how the urban guys were getting records played and how the rock guys were getting records played. And, I mean, when I was at RCA, that was the first time I was ever exposed to that. And, you know, they would stand up and throw babies in the air if the urban station got two ads and I'd be looking at my score sheet going like, I got 47 ads on Clint Black <laughs> and that's just me. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say anything.
1: And the cool thing about branches is, you know, if if we brought an artist into the conference room during oh, the man. sales meeting and then the pop guy or the R and B person would come up going, Hey, um, are they playing in town tonight? I yeah. really dug that. Can you give me tickets to come in? And so it was again, turning people onto music. Yep. And thing i loved about branches is boy you could walk down the hall and go to the island guy and get the new youtube album um you just yeah just the exposure of all the different music was so cool it's so much fun yeah
0: so uh obviously crazy bob (laughs) Saperetti, but uh you
1: need to interview him
0: oh man i don't
1: i'm coming out for that one (laughs) buffalo bob
0: (laughs) But obviously Nick Hunter held a special place in your heart for, I mean, still does, forever.
1: Nick Hunter, God bless his soul, he is past and hanging out with all the other musical gods up in heaven. (laughs) He, um, you know, it's just one word for Nick, and he's a character. Um, Yeah. Trying to, if somebody said, describe Nick Hunter, go on.
0: Uh, Look for a ball cap.
1: Yeah, I mean, the guy, he he was a huge baseball fan.
0: Yeah.
1: He actually, uh, once a week, would join the local Nashville sports uh, radio show, and his nickname Uh, was Nick the Stick. Nick the Stick. Yep.
0: (laughs) (coughs) I wasn't even a baseball fan. I would still try to tune into that just to hear him.
1: And his stories, because he never played baseball, but anybody... On a baseball team, especially like traveling secretaries or general managers, there was a good chance they were a country music fan. Yeah. And Nick would get them tickets to go see Hank Jr. or Michael Martin Murphy or Highway. It's just one of the things I've always told people because sometimes I'll take an artist to a baseball game and you're invited down to the locker room because the players want to meet. Who Randy Travis, right? Brantley Gilbert, whoever, and you know the players are like, oh my gosh, I'm such a fan. This and that, yeah. And then you invite the players out to the concert, and the players are like, oh my gosh, this what? is so cool. Bottom line, <clears throat> athletes, entertainers, it all it all comes under the un- umbrella of entertainer, yeah. Or entertainment Because it's just, it's so interesting to see professional athletes relate to a performer. Oh, yeah. Because they just think that's the coolest thing. And then when a, a performer gets to go into a locker room or take batting practice with a <laughs> baseball team, it's like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. But you know what? It's, it's all the same.
0: I always thought it was fun. Because like you introduced me to so many Chicago Cubs. And you know, and we'd all help each other out and everything, and you'd see like Mark Grace at a Clint show or something, and nobody bugged him because I don't think anybody ever thought it was him right, and I always thought that's very cool that a guy like that can go do something that's this big and still be incognito
1: so it's funny incognito second show ever might have been the first concert ever at the detroit Pontiac um Palace, Auburn uh, Hills. Auburn Hills. Auburn Hills Palace. First show The Judds, Tammy Wynette, Randy Travis. I'm at the show.
0: I think I was at that show.
1: And there's a security guy who comes up to me and he goes, Hey, no, one of our players wants to meet Randy. Can you come talk to him? It's like, Sure. I didn't know who this player was at the time, Dennis Rodman. Oh, man. So you talk about the extreme. (laughs) I mean, first off, here's a professional basketball player, a black athlete who wants to meet Randy Travis. Yeah. And it's like, well, of course we can make this happen. Yeah. And I just think back to then because, again, he appreciated Randy's music. Randy had no idea who that Dennis was. That's
0: what I was, was. going to say. No. All honesty, no. did Randy Travis know who Dennis no. Rodman was? And back
1: then, you know, it's the <laughs> the bad boy days of the Detroit Pistons oh, and Bill Lambeer and all those guys. So, Isaiah. Um, yeah. So, it, But I'll never forget. It's like walking out going, hi, you know, this is Dennis Rodman. I went, hi, I'm George. It's like he, he wasn't quite the
0: – right. He grew into that, especially when he went to Chicago. Yeah, so. you'd probably never had a black guy that was taller than you at a country
1: (laughs) meet and greet. (laughs) Very rare, very rare, to say the least.
0: Okay, I'm not going to ask you who your least favorite artist was to work with, but who do you think your faves have been over the years? And I know that's hard because you've worked with a million of them.
1: Hands down, first and foremost, Randy Travis. Really? No doubt about it.
0: How come? Just sweet guy, considerate.
1: Just sweet guy,
0: great singer, obviously. Just
1: um, man, I think one of our one of the greatest country singers. I mean, there's so many of them out there. Oh, I know it. But Randy was always good to me. Um, I still see him on occasion when he's at events and stuff. And I think if anybody doesn't know, he Randy had a. Tough run in life, and he's, you know, partially paralyzed and had a severe stroke, but, you know, doctors said he wouldn't make it, and he's made it, and yep. anytime I see Randy from across the room and we meet eyes, he starts laughing, because <laughs> <laughs> he knows I'm going to remind him of some crazy-ass story back in the day, and uh, no, he's just, uh, and it's funny, because as we were out with Randy, you know, as Randy was very, very popular... You know, some of his opening acts were like uh, Alan Jackson, and uh, it was just again, it was a really, really special time. Yeah, back, you know, when I started with Warner Brothers, it was Randy was a brand new artist, Dwight Yoakam was a brand new artist. Hank, I got, I was blessed to work Hank. Well, wait a second, blessed to work Hank Jr. That's
0: it. Um, I got to work much, Hank Jr. Right, right. You had the opportunity,
1: <laughs> some amazing music, um, but. Um, there's a gentleman that Bard and I both know. Um, he was the tour manager for Highway 101, and uh, he's to this day a dear friend, a gentleman named Robin Majors. Yeah. And he has, prior to Highway 101, he was one of the original tour managers for Marshall Tucker. Man. And nowadays he's part of the man, um, tour management team of Kenny Chesney, and just salt of the earth. For like 15 great. years. Yeah. Actually, that's another one you should talk to. Robin would be great if you haven't already. I've tried. <laughs> what? Is he saying no?
0: no? I just can't get a hold of him. He must be out of town.
1: So anyways, <laughs> it's, you know, another great thing about this journey and all the people who have allowed me opportunities. I mean, if I if Bruce Edelman hadn't given me the opportunity to interview for Warner Brothers... Yeah. Um, it's because of Warner Brothers, and when I moved to Nashville in 89, it's the first time I met Bart and yep. the Dudes. And there's the camaraderie within this business <laughs> is, as Bart laughs, because cause no matter who it is, from Scott Porchetta who's, you know, doing amazing things in this business yeah. and amazing things for the artists and for songwriters to you know just it's just anytime you meet somebody within the music business yeah the majority of the time there's a connection there's there's a guy that Bart and I know who was one of the very impressionable people in this business that I called today because he lives up in Hibbing, Minnesota. A gentleman named Tom Baldrika. Oh, man. I called Tom today. And he goes, I was afraid to pick up the phone. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tom. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, man. But I just called to, um, you know what? He, he did some amazing things while he was in Nashville working for one of the record labels. Yep. Yeah he wanted. He had an opportunity to move back to northern Minnesota where he grew up and his mom and dad were still alive. His dad has passed, but he's so glad. And he works in radio up there in a little tiny radio station. And when I talked to him today, he said, 90% of the time, I know I did the right thing because I got time with my mom or with my dad. I got time with my mom and, um, you know, 10%, he says, I kind of miss Nashville and I miss hanging around all you assholes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Tom, it's not what you think it is anymore. So.
0: <laughs> well, come down. We'll all go to Hooters for a chicken sandwich. It'll be
1: great. But, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. That...
0: Man, I was thinking about, like, uh, Uncle Buck and Joe Devine and some of those guys that God we all – Oh, man, and they passed away. And it's Did like, Buck
1: pass? Mm-hmm. Okay. Ed Buchanan. And, yeah. Yeah, Uncle and Buck. And we were
0: just such – it was just, you know, I mean – Ryan Dobry. Oh, man. But those are the kind of people you would talk records with for 10 minutes, and then you'd talk, you know, how's your diabetes doing? Or, you know, did you get that coat of paint on your house yet or anything? And you just became such, such great. It was like family friends. I mean...
1: Whenever, once a year, there's an event called the Country Radio Seminar, and because Bart and I, you know, we had the opportunity to travel... And visit Traverse City, Michigan, where Ryan Dobry is, or Tim Clawson, who I met when he was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and they went to Cedar Rapids, and then Cincinnati. Um, You know, but at Country Radio Seminar, the years and years and years that we've gone, it's kind of like the family reunion. Yeah, and uh, I just so many stories.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, that you just sit there going,
0: and most of them are good. But you even think about, like, the Orphan's Christmas that Terry Lay's had. Oh, yeah. Where you'd, oh. you'd just you'd get a, 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 an assignment. Yep. You need to bring a case of beer. You need to bring a turkey casserole. You need to bring some mac and cheese. And then we'd all meet. And sometimes there might be 30 of us there.
1: About once a year, I'd touch ba- Terry's out in Seattle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just... Um,
0: Man, I haven't seen her in forever. You
1: know, and I, I have to... Be- well... How do you compare the music business? And I mean, maybe it's the same in the motion picture business. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, there's just something. There's just something really special about <clears throat> about the country music business, I, you know. And I, I see the same thing in the pop world and the R and B world because it just there's something. I don't know what the word is, but there's some part of the chemistry about music. Everybody who's in the music business that has survived the music business, because some people get in and they're not cut out for it. It eats them up. And it just eats them up or they're in over their head. Yeah. But the survivors, um, you know, it's it's a family. And, you know, you may disagree with some and may not like the ethics of some, but you have that commonality, commonality yeah. of uh, music.
0: And it's a passion. Nobody gets in this because they like music. They yeah. get in it because they love it. Yeah. And also in country, especially, our artists stay around for 30 years. Yeah. You know, I think about like football players and stuff. It's like if they get four years out of a career, that's not a bad career. And then you look at some of the people just hanging on the walls down here that have, you know, Martina McBride, how long has she been? Had a really nice career. 30. I
1: remember when I was at Warner Brothers, um, and I knew Bart at the time, but... uh we had just signed an act, Little Texas, and the bass player, um, For yep. I don't even remember how he ended up moving in with me for a while, and then Tim Rushlow, the lead singer, he and I were going through a divorce at the same time,
0: nice. so he
1: moved in for a while. <laughs> and Was
0: Dwayne still there?
1: Uh, props was still with us. He was? Okay. Yeah. And then a gentleman that i that I get to work with right now, Christy Napoli, who produced them and managed them to this day, Christy tells the story that um, when they turned in their second album, they were trying to figure out what the first single was. And they all had different opinions, and I said, "What might have been is the best song on the album, and it's you have song. to leave with, lead with your best single." And that was their first number one song. Oh, and Christie always says, "George, that's because of you." And it's like, "Well, I didn't write it. I didn't sing it." But you just liked it, yeah. So it's um, and the same thing with you, Bart, and the other people that you talk to. It's nobody has survived or navigated through this business by themselves. Oh man. And if they think they did,
0: they're wrong. They
1: are so wrong because it's it's a family like no other. Yeah. And you know what? There's going to be a day that, and Bart, you and I were talking about this earlier uh, before we got behind the mics. But um, when I leave here, I don't, you know, the the things that I've been associated with, if it's winners of awards or number one songs or platinum albums or sold out stadiums, those are all things I'll always hang on to those memories. Yeah. But it's, um, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to. Wave the flag. It's saying, "Look at look at what yeah. I did," because it doesn't matter. It's just what matters is the relationships and the friendships that I've built through this oh, through man. this journey.
0: No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. So, not to get off completely off the subject, but during the the COVID dance, ah! what have you been cooking? Oh, because you're a great cook. <laughs> um. Well, that's another thing I always loved about you is every year you took a cooking class and it might be spanish food one year it might be cuban food one year it might be swedish meatballs one year but you would always make a you would always go to a cooking class
1: well 2 weeks ago i went to a cooking class <laughs> <laughs> funny you should ask and it was on smoking okay food um <laughs> But it was more about the brines and the um,
0: rubs and stuff, uh,
1: brines and rubs and stuff like that. And it was so cool because, yes, I love cooking. It's a it's a release for me. Um, but my favorite thing is putting things in the smoker, and the chef, who this class that I went to, <laughs> um, and just creating your own rubs and your your um, your cures and brines and stuff like that because we did we um, did a smoked salmon did some uh, did some amazing rubs for these steaks and the guy said you know what here you're th- for like um, for your rub three basic things salt pepper a uh, salt pepper and uh, garlic powder and then he said from there. And he added like five other things, and he goes, there's no recipe. Right. It's try it. If you like it, just kind of add from there and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, the, you know, the great thing about cooking is I always tell people the thing I, that I enjoy most about cooking is I may follow a recipe. And when I'm done with the recipe, I close the book, and I open up my cabinet, which is just loaded with spices and sauces because I've never cooked anything <laughs> twice the same way. Right. But uh yeah, Bart's been over when I've been cooking. I oh, just man. um but yeah, smoker always around Thanksgiving. I'm always smoking one or two turkeys and it's just um I'll get up at three in the morning to start start the smoker because I love smoking with real wood and stuff like that. Like so, apple wood and yeah, all kinds the different of woods, cherries mis- and yeah, mesquite and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, um cooking is um you know, when I'm not in music I love the outdoors. I ski. I sail. I hike, um, and then when I'm within home, it's like I'll be digging through recipes on the weekend. Go to the stores, going, man, and I, I'm I that, might try man. this out.
0: Well, you know who else liked to smoke was Willie Nelson.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really, I've never heard this before. I worked
0: for this guy Wayland Jennings really? on the Waymore's B- Blues Part Two record, mm-hmm. and we were at his office. And, uh, oh, dang it, his wife. Jesse. Jesse. Jesse made us all white bean chicken chili, and it was awesome. Oh, wow. And then when we got done, it was time for Waylon to start holding court, you know. And he just started telling a story. He go, you know me and Shorty one time? and Because he, he always called Willie Shorty. Shorty, yeah. And then he just stopped and looked at me and said, you know, Shorty would smoke a pickle if he could get it lit. And then he just went right back to the story, and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even remember what the rest of the story was about.
1: My favorite Willie story, when George Strait was doing Straight Land. Oh, yeah. And uh, sometimes Willie was on some of those. <laughs> right. So was Asleep at the Wheel, which I was working at the time with Ray Benson oh, at DreamWorks. And Ray Benson was producing this young boy named Billy Gilman. So, I want to say Cincinnati, but at one time, Ray had to go on the bus to tell Willie he wanted to bring Billy on, but Willie couldn't be smoking dope. And Willie goes, well, then don't bring bring him on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) And Billy Gilman was like, what was he, 14? And he had his... If that. Yeah. And Ray Benson, who's... Three inches taller than me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> how did Ray leg. Benson get into that deal? Because I know the first time I heard of Billy Gilman was through Blake Chansey, because we were yeah. all still at Sony. So how did Ray Benson get him? Because he wasn't from Texas, was he?
1: I have no idea, but he produced it.
0: I didn't know that. I'm
1: pretty sure we'd have to look in the history books. Yeah, we'll do that. That one eluded me.
0: <laughs> um, I know who you're going to say, but who were some of the some of the artists that maybe were not? Commercially successful, but they're still just your absolute guilty pleasures.
1: Boy, um, want me to tell you? <laughs> well, I know the one that always comes to mind. Well, there's a couple, but uh, Kevin Welch, yeah, great songwriter, great <laughs> human being, just really, really special. And if you if you go to your favorite digital provider or whatever you however you listen to music Kevin Welch's first two albums were masterpieces oh, the other one Mac McAnally yeah album called Simple Life oh man I refer to albums being like you know a good album is like a really good book where it's one chapter to the next to the next and you can't put it down Simple Life is the one of my favorite books to read if, yeah. if I could have that equation because Back Where I Come From, Simple Life. There's just so many great songs. And for those that don't know, Mac McAnally produces and co-writes a lot of stuff with Jimmy Buffett, and he's a member of the Coral Reefer Band. And um, to this day, uh, I'm still in touch with Mac. I worked that career that would have been in 88 or 89. And uh, I've, I thought it was you when you and I were talking about this before, and maybe it wasn't, but... One of my favorite stories, and Mac and I were talking about it the other day. We were working back where I come from. And, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, we were working Simple Life. Okay. And um, I'll never forget the song hit top 10 on the charts. God, Bart, I thought it was you. And I get a phone call, and I go, man, congratulations this week on the chart. I go, man, isn't it cool? Mac Mac and Alley, a top 10 song on the country charts, going, No, I was calling to congratulate you on the Randy Travis that went number one this (laughs) week. And I went, oh, yeah, that. That's really cool, too. But Mac has a top ten record. And I just, I was so proud of that. And uh, But, yeah, those hidden gems. I mean, I got to work with one of the coolest bands. Uh, Boy, when I look back, one of the coolest experiences, and I still wish I could talk to some of those guys, but the Texas Tornadoes. Yeah. And I got to know Doug Somm, who... When I was when I was younger, and that whole British invasion invasion was happening, he was part of Sir Douglas Quintet. Yeah, him and Augie Myers, who was also part of the Texas Tornadoes. But it was Freddie Fender and Flaco, and I had no idea who Flaco Jimenez was yeah. outside of he was on this one song by Dwight Yoakam. And then I found out he's world renowned, yeah, Tejano accordion player, and being on the road with these guys um oh, my favorite freddie fender song or uh, story or no it was flaco flaco you'd go to these shows cuz these guys were still playing clubs but whatever city they went into somebody in the band knew somebody and some of the best homemade mexican food
0: oh man i bet
1: tamales just the food was and people would just bring home cooking and flaco you could still eat it flaco would say hey um can you uh, can you take me for a run for a minute? And I go, sure, what do you want? Flaco Amenas, the epitome of Tejano music, wanted to go to Taco Bell and pick up a six-pack of PBR. And he said, I can't eat that other crap. He said, I'd much rather eat Taco Bell. And I'm going, wait a second. And here's the guy with the gold teeth and just everything. And I'm going... This is really disappointing.
0: I thought you were going to say, like, Crystal or something.
1: No, Taco Bell. And then Doug Salm, who played with Dylan. Just I mean, if, if you ever want to watch a great documentary about someone that you don't know anything about, but what a huge influence this guy was, is Doug Som, and he has passed also. Both Freddie and Doug yeah. have uh, passed. Augie's still alive, and so is um, uh, Flacco still alive. But, um, yeah, and then... a uh, 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 an act that's... I guess they're popular. I don't know. I'd One of my favorite to this day is uh, The Mavericks.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I know you're going to say The Mavericks.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, people say, well, there's pop music and rock music and country music and all these different categories. And people say, The Mavericks, I don't know anything. What kind of music are they? And I said, there's a category called cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's cool music. Yeah. You can't, I mean... Raul Malo is a great singer. Eddie Perez, amazing guitar player. These guys are just—they just released an album uh, recently called. Um, not else is it El Salvador?
0: I don't know. I yeah,
1: it's—it's it, it, it's all Spanish music. Okay, but there's some of the finest musicians out there, and it's just—if you ever want to—if you ever want to go to a concert where you know nothing about the band, you will not be disappointed to go see the Maverick show because it will move you.
0: Those guys are also like one of those, they're their own worst enemy kind of thing. It's like, well, I know we're only playing to 200 people, but we've got a seven-piece horn section. We have 17 people on three buses. Well,
1: uh, We're going to play three hours, and if they leave, that's fine. We're still playing.
0: (laughs) Kevin Welsh to me, was always that guy you listened to when you wanted to feel sad but you didn't want to feel bad you know what i mean it's like you kind of just had a crappy day you just kind of want to commiserate with somebody but you live by yourself so you don't want to take it too far over the edge because you got to work tomorrow but you just kind of want to feel sad for a while
1: one of my top 10 favorite songs kevin welch wrote and don williams sang it Uh, too old to die this young oh man man i just every time i listen to it people who have come and gone it's just that song just moves me mm. there's not a time i could just listen to it going oh yeah i like this song no right. it it stops me in my tracks it's an amazing song
0: and don williams is kind of fun to listen to too
1: singing son of a bitch mm.
0: all right you want to do my lightning round
1: ag- again <laughs> what's the prize
0: uh,
1: another drink yes okay hurry up okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite book
1: uh, oh, uh, Art of Racing in the Rain.
0: Are you a bath guy or a shower guy?
1: Solo? <laughs> sure. Oh. Um,
0: <laughs> the ocean doesn't count. Damn
1: it. Uh, love me a good bath.
0: Yeah? Yeah, there you go. What's the last gift you gave someone?
1: Flowers to my wife?
0: Nice. Okay. You talked about your first concert, but how old were you, and what, did you get a T-shirt? Did they do T-shirts? T-shirt? <laughs> I got Hello? A, I got a road case. Hello? <laughs> 60s T-shirts?
1: Um, Did I get a T-shirt? No. What was the question? How old
0: were you? Hell, I don't know. All right.
1: Actually, the first concert I really saw before Freddie and the Dreamers and it's a whole nother story that I won't get into. But my parents went to see, uh, took me to see Louis Armstrong. and I still have his autograph. But go ahead, Lightning Run.
0: Wow, um, I kind of got lost by that. Yeah. Um, I don't know where to go here. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this?
1: Working in a donut shop. Really? No, I probably. Uh, would you eat the profits? Hello. Oh, hell yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd probably. Uh, uh, two dream jobs. Well, one job I've had that I would go back to, and that's uh, teaching people how to ski where I'd be outdoors in the mountains oh, in the wow. Rockies. And the other one would be a charter boat captain down in the Caribbean.
0: Nice. Yeah. And you'll probably do both of those? I hope so. Tomorrow. So, <laughs> tomorrow. Don't tell <laughs> just, Scott. Don't, <laughs> hey, man, was George out there last night? No, no, I would you say that. What do you mean? George who? So uh, besides stuff you have to for work and things... What are you listening to these days?
1: Just in oh God, I just listen to so much music. I still, um, I don't go too long without listening to Bob Marley, The Mavericks. Um, I'm a big, um, I'm a big. I mean, on, on Sunday morning, and this is in honor of my dad, and because I appreciate the music on Sunday morning. Satchmo, Duke Ellington, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. I I just that old jazz, and it just it takes me back to listening to it in the house, and it's just it's a great way to start a Sunday morning for me.
0: I got into jazz because I couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Like I listened to Miles Davis. I mean, the old old Miles Davis, or uh, oh shoot, the sax player coltrane coltrane i'd listen to that i'd i'd like i would take a saturday <laughs> or a sunday and listen to where are they going Col- yeah. <laughs> yeah and just figuring out that <clears throat> there has to be a method method to the madness and if i can figure that out i'm i'm going to be better right and i could never
1: figure it out how about the guys playing with them following them uh, it's like wait a second he was, just went in a different direction to you right there with
0: him. to me it wasn't so much as a trio or a quartet it was like three solo artists, or four. It's like, I don't know what... How do you guys... It must just be eye contact. Yeah. Are you ready to be done? Because I see... Yeah, ready, bonk. I don't know. Yeah, it's It's amazing. uh, I mean,
1: there's, there's obviously different types of jazz. Yeah. But, I mean, what my dad influenced me with and... Ellington and armstrong and all those guys that was a very structured form of jazz that's great when i was in high school you know one of my favorite groups to this day is the crusaders which larry carlton played in joe sample on pianos but i loved like grover washington and spyro gyra and lee rittenauer and so but that's more nowadays it's called smooth jazz yeah um it wasn't called that back then but the uh is it avant-garde jazz? What do you call, like, Miles and Coltrane? It's,
0: uh... Original? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Avant-garde might be the deal, yeah.
1: I don't know, It's but, uh, yeah, I have a hard time following it, and yeah. that's not that's not soothing for me.
0: Yeah, it's not easy listening. <laughs> it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, thank you again for your patience in doing uh, this. You've God bless you, Bart. have been such a great friend for so long, and uh, I love you, and I'm just I'm thankful for you.
1: Glad we, uh... I'm glad the first one crashed. Like I said, there's a reason that happened. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, because we were meant to do this together. Yes. I'm really thirsty. Where's the tequila? It's on the other side of the room. Okay. See you
0: later.